Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, such an amazing place to, to live, work, and play. Hey, we have a very special edition of Coast View today. Um, I wanna do, I'm going to just do a quick introduction, and then we'll get right to the show, something that I've, uh, I've looked forward to. It's unfortunate that we're having this conversation, but we'll make the best of it. I have a, a dear cousin uh, who lives in, in Alabama, and her daughter, Michelle Tice, has uh, adopted two boys from Ukraine. Uh, and as a result, you know, Michelle and I are friends on Facebook, and we stay in touch, and her sister April and I are friends as well. And, um, and Michelle, I've been really watching closely, though, in the wake of the, um, Russia's attack on Ukraine, of the connections that Michelle still has with her friends back in Ukraine. And it sort of brought to mind the, the, the idea to get Michelle to introduce me to one of her friends there and uh, someone that I could connect with and maybe stay in touch with through, throughout this situation that is happening in Ukraine. So Michelle introduced me to an independent missionary who is a friend of hers in Ukraine. Her name is Laurie Jackson. We're going to tell you more about Laurie here in just a second. But without any further ado, let me just welcome Laurie Jackson to Coast View. How are you doing, Laurie? Hi, we're okay. We're doing the best we can. I know you are. We, I'm surprised we're using Skype. We have a fairly good connection, and I know that you've had some challenges with Wi-Fi along the way, and, and we'll, make, we'll make the best of it. But you're you, – okay, so let's, let's kind of set this up a little bit. You have an apartment actually on, on the river in Kiev, and you recently had to sort of move over into western uh, Ukraine – uh, where you are now, do you feel relatively safe, uh, Laurie? Um, where I am now is safe, yes. My apartment in Kiev um, is not safe right now, but uh, but we left um, after the first explosion started. And so where we are now is uh, probably as safe as you can be anywhere yeah. in Ukraine. So yeah, I, I know. I know. We're good. We have a lot of ground to cover, Laurie. Uh, you and I had an opportunity to visit by phone on Saturday after s- several attempts. We finally were able to connect. And I got a sense of your story. I got a sense of your perception of of the, f- the fact that you are very thankful that Americans don't have an indifference toward this war. And uh, me having come from, from digital media and newspaper background, I have said more than once that what will make a difference in this particular situation, this war in Ukraine, is the fact that social media and the Internet are going to really change the name of the game. And in some respects, I think uh, Putin may have underestimated the role that social media may play and that, that technology will play. I think that when you're in a world where one phone call can be made to Elon Musk and suddenly you've got more Internet capability, more Wi-Fi capability in an entire country. We're in a different we're in a different place from a technology point of view. This this war 
And because every single person who is in Ukraine has a smartphone or most have smartphones and they can record what's happening around them, it's being told by citizen journalists in ways we've never seen before. Do you have a sense of that, Laurie, and from, from where you're sitting, how much, how much proliferation of information is coming out of Ukraine and touching the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Ukraine actually has been ahead of the game with uh, technology for even longer than America. It's a running joke in my family that in the middle of a war, I have better internet than my parents have um, in Tallahassee. <laughs> and um, so actually when, um, when uh, in 2013 uh, that led to the war beginning in 2014, um, most of what happened through that was because of social media because use what they had to communicate with each other and say this is what's going on um and for sure one of our greatest um benefits and blessings right now uh, is that we have connection with each other and we know how to use it and we are Mm -hmm. wow there's a lot and there's we, we do we do have a little bit of um of loss in communication from time to time, but I think I think our listeners can can hear the the brunt of what you're saying, and that is that technology, even in the face of this war, has been an, a godsend. It's been this opportunity for you and fellow missionaries across that country to stay in touch with each other. Let's take a step back for just a second. You grew up in Tallahassee. Uh, through an organization in Tallahassee, you were introduced to missionary work in uh, Ukraine. You're what is you describe as an independent missionary. Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, well, I actually came over with um, my church group, um, or not with my church group, sorry, with a friend of mine from church um, who was coming, who had come before with the church group. Um, she and I came and to spend the summer in Ukraine um, in. 2004 um and so we were here for three months that summer and went back to the states and um and i i had known even before that trip that i wanted to be a missionary i just didn't know what it looked like or where maybe in the states or somewhere else and so um was attending college while i was trying to figure out uh what god wanted and um and then actually went on a trip to guatemala and on the plane on the way to guatemala my heart just I want to be in Ukraine. And um, and so the next summer I went back to Ukraine and was here for three months that summer. And about um, halfway through the summer, the director of the camp organization that I was working with said, how would you feel like staying and, uh, and helping us full time? So I, at the time, we didn't have the technology we have now. And so uh, I called my mom. I hadn't called her ever um, from Ukraine. We had sent emails once a week uh, during the three months I was there the summer before. And again, this summer, about once a week, an email. Uh, and um, But this time I called her and I said, how would you feel if I stayed in Ukraine? And she said, I kind of saw that coming. Um, <laughs> and my best friend who is here, um, she and I stayed up praying before I made the decision to call my mom and ask. And um, at the time, I didn't know the language. I didn't um, have a place to stay after camps and did. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of connections, but both of us really felt like it was God leading. And um, and she said, my bank account's your bank account, and I'll go home and tell everyone else. And she did. And all these years later, I'm still here. And that was in 2005. So tell me, yes. tell me what it is about the heart and soul of Ukrainians that you fell in love with that made it made it so compelling that you wanted to 
to do your work there over all these years? Um, everything I hope you're seeing right now um, as you're watching Ukrainians stand up for each other, um, take care of each other, um, and just be super creative, um, very tenacious. I don't know. They're just such inspiring um, people. They love deeply. Um, and, and I hope that's coming across to the world because I, I've known it the whole time I've been here. But to, I don't know. It's been multiplied over the past couple weeks for sure. So, Laura, when when okay, so of course the invasion happened, but in the in the in the days and weeks and months leading up to the to the invasion, did you have a sense, and the people that you work with, did they have a sense that this was actually going to happen? You hoped that it wouldn't happen. What was your state of mind as it related to you know sort of the days leading up to the invasion? So I had actually been living in Lugansk when the war began um, in 2014. Um, so I'd seen it happen before. Um, and so probably about a month before anything actually got escalated, um, a lot of our friends were discussing, like, will something happen? What, something, what will happen? If something happens, what will that look like? Um, and for the most part, my Kiev friends uh, weren't really expecting anything to happen in Kiev. Um, my friends who had been displaced from Lugansk and I would say, we don't know, like anything's possible. Like everything you think right now is not possible, is possible. And I actually, the night before uh, we left, had that exact conversation with my friends that I was living with. Um, uh, we had started discussing if we thought things were going to get worse and should we try to get out of Kiev. Um, and, uh, and I looked at my friend who was saying, I think it'll be okay. And just said, mm, like, we need to decide. Like, if we decide to stay, we need to stay knowing what could come because anything is possible. And so I feel like, yeah, there were kind of these two different groups of people, those who were expecting something and those who weren't. And so uh, the unimaginable or maybe the somewhat imaginable happened because you had had some previous experience with the war in 2014. And so, um, you know, Putin's rhetoric combined with what ultimately began to transpire in the city, or excuse me, in the country started to come to fruition and uh, at some point you had to move over to western uh, Ukraine which is where you are now we're not specific about where you are specifically but um, what we're going to do Laurie when we come up on the other side I want I want people to understand what kind of work you're involved in what kind of work you're involved in I want to talk more specifically about the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding in front of your face the fact that you had a chance to get out of there and you chose not to because you said there's too much to be done and there are a lot of people like you who've chosen not to get out of there who have stayed to help in any way that they possibly can but we're going to break all that down in just a few minutes when we continue our conversation with Laurie Jackson an independent missionary who is coming to us from uh, western Ukraine we'll see you after this break Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have uh, my new friend, Laurie Jackson, who is an independent missionary in uh, Ukraine. She she actually lives in Kiev, but she has sort of uh, escaped over to western Ukraine, where at least Currently, she feels relatively safe under the circumstances. That's about as good as you can say. Um, so, Laurie, when we went to break, I, I, I thought it would be a good idea to, to talk a little bit about the kind of work that you do. So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Okay. So in normal life, um, I, like we said, I'm an independent missionary. Um, I had been working with a camp organization when I first moved to Ukraine. Um, and then uh, started helping with several different orphanages um, and moved about three years into my time in Ukraine to uh, far eastern Ukraine and Lugansk um, and was working with several different orphanages there before uh, before the war started and actually ended up leaving Lugansk um, with uh, 12 kids who had been in a city that was heavily bombed um, at the beginning of the war. Um, and so we came to Kiev and were there for um, about two weeks. And within that two week period, uh, we were just trying to figure out, uh, what was best for them. Um, they were about to go to the States for a hosting program. Um, and so my plan was to go back to Lugansk and finish our camp season. Um, but in the middle of those two weeks, it became clear that I wouldn't be able to go back. Um, and so, uh, and so I started calling friends in Kiev and saying, I need help. Um, and my Ukrainian family said, you'll move in with us. And I said, uh, I have Pasha with me, who is an orphan who had aged out. And they said, oh, he'll come too. And I said, uh, I promised you in Slavic, they could move in with me. And they were two kids whose mom was not uh, in the picture. And, um, and he said, it's okay, they'll come too. And it just kept growing. Um, we had expected to move back to Lugansk as soon as the war ended. Um, obviously it didn't. And so when fall started, uh, I knew the kids needed to be in school. And so started making arrangements for that, found our own apartment um, and several other friends from uh, Lugansk started calling and saying, uh, we need a place to live. We need jobs. Do you think we can find them in Kiev? And I said, I don't know about jobs, but you'll definitely have a place to live. And so they started moving in. And um, and as we were there, we were looking for things we could do to help other people. And um, and so ended up helping a lot of families who were adopting, um, like you mentioned, Michelle earlier. Um, and one of her boys was actually from Lugansk. I knew him uh, while we were there. Uh, and the other one we met in Kiev, and they spent a lot of time um, with me and my girls. Um, and uh, and then we found a family-type children's home um, that has 10 kids living with them, and we visit them uh, weekly. I spend time with them and spend the week with them so the parents can have some time off, things like this. Uh, and also a transition home for orphans who have graduated from uh, the orphanage. Um, uh, became really good friends of ours. Uh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so that's so compelling. Um, you know, poor Ukraine has fought so hard for its independence, and then the you know the issue of what has taken place in eastern Ukraine, you know, that predates, of course, um, all of the current situations. I mean, that began in 2014. This this sort of contested area there. Um, it's unfortunate you have that experience, but it does help you sort of understand what's to come and how bad it could possibly get. 
and um, and so on. And, and in future shows, I want to talk. We'll talk more about all that experience and what it meant to you. But as you sort of look at the humanitarian crisis now, you've you've made the tour. You've made the journey from Kiev to where you are now in Western in Western uh, Ukraine. When you read about you know which you and I talked about over the weekend. When you read about this humanitarian crisis this morning estimated some 1.7 million people have have escaped uh, to bordering countries. Poland being sort of number one on the list for the number of people that are headed into Poland. Um, what do you observe in looking at this this humanitarian crisis as people try to exit this, the the country? Um, it's heartbreaking. Um, families are being separated. Uh, indefinitely. Um, we've had uh, several uh, whose husbands have stayed here with us and wives and children have crossed the border. And uh, even just this week, um, uh, a friend whose wife and, uh, and two little kids, a daughter and son, crossed the border. And uh, the first night they were there, they called and he could see her in the cell phone and um, his little girl. And she's saying, I want to be in daddy's hands. I want to be in daddy's arms. And, um, and it's one story of thousands, literally thousands. Um, our transition home that I was talking about that um, they're getting ready to cross the border today, this morning, they hugged each other goodbye. And I don't know, they're just not words for yeah, Laurie, I know it's it's hard to watch over and over and over and over again because um, men uh, greater than 16 years of age are being required to stay. So you've got situations where families are being separated. And as you, you know, as you well know, you know, they understand they may never be able to come back or they may never see their loved one again. The, the, the future is more than uncertain, and it's got to be just just devastating. How can, How do you... In this moment, how do you find a way to help? And and why didn't you choose to go to Poland or wherever you had the opportunity to go? Um, when we left Kiev, we were on our way to the border. Um, was our plan. Um, as much as you can have a plan uh, when you're woken up by explosions at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, and on the way there, they um, enforced the rule about men over the age of 16 not being able to leave. And so um, I was in the car with a good friend of mine and his wife, and um, we were driving to the border. And when this news came, um, a, a couple of our friends actually were able to cross the border. They got there in time um, before the law like kicked in. And... Um, and so once we realized that it wasn't possible for her husband to leave, um, we said, okay, well, let's drive to like where we are now and we'll spend the night and we'll make decisions the next morning. Uh, so we spent the night and we met with other friends, um, and we're also other families with women and children here. And, um, and we made the decision the next morning that we would send the women and children across the border. Um, and my friend and I said, we won't leave. Um, and as soon as we made that decision, um, phone calls started coming in asking for help. Where can we go? How, what are the safest roads to take leaving Kiev? What are the ways to, how do you do this? Where do you find fuel? How do you, um, find a place to stay? All these different questions that everybody had, um, uh, started coming in and, um, and we saw a need and we said, okay, let's find a way to help. And that's what we've been trying to do since. Well, God bless you, Laurie. What 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 I should also point out is that you 
because of your work over all of these years, you have an extensive network throughout the country, yeah. uh, literally just every corner of the country and, into, and you know, literally probably just about every city. What are you hearing from your friends? Um, I wish you could be here. Um, I wish you could experience, um, just a little bit of the Ukrainian, uh, spirit. I don't know. There's this deep devastation, um, and fear. And at the same time, there's incredible hope. Uh, and I don't know, it's just a really special place to be, um, to understand is like in the middle. Um, and so we do have friends who are in really difficult, um, places and really scary, uh, places. But the one thing like I feel is that everyone has some sort of hope even now. Okay. Aside from prayers, Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who are listening now about how they can help? Um, my Ukrainian friends ask that you uh, go to protests, um, show your support for the Ukrainian people in a way that government officials see. Um, and that's not even coming from me. It's coming from um my friends and the people here, um, other things you can do. Um, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on with gas, but spend the extra dollar to buy gas. that's not coming to you from Russia. Um, uh, there are plenty of different organizations that are raising funds. Um, if you have finances to support people on the ground, please be careful about who you support. Please make sure you're looking into and researching um, so that the money is actually getting into the hands of people who need it. Um, but Ukrainians, like I said, are incredibly creative people, and they will use whatever five cents you give them to uh, to do infinitely more than you can even imagine. We've always said that. Like, we have camps and American teams come over, and they see what Ukrainians can do with nothing. Like, we could never do that in the States. We're just not that creative. As it relates to, to uh, the, the Russian oil, it does appear that the United States and NATO are beginning to get aligned around what they might be able to do not to take any because we all we all know what the impact of accepting that all really is ultimately. But Laura, here's the thing. This is only the first of many conversations. My my you know, first of all, God bless you for being willing to do what you're doing. Stay safe. Um, I would think that you and I will stay in touch with each other. And when it becomes apparent that it's time to do another show together, we'll just do that. But until then, I wish we had more time together. Thank you for agreeing to be my friend. We will pray for you. We will bring as much attention to your journey as we possibly can. And until next time, uh, again, God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. You bet. This is Laurie Jackson, an independent missionary uh, coming to us from Western Ukraine, and we'll, we'll be touching base with her periodically. See you later. Have a, uh, we'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.